Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is Friday, Friday, Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 21st day of July 2023, and this is episode 760 of Bitcoin. And the Circle P is open for business this time. It's my own. As you may or may not know, I am a part owner of a cabin in southwest Colorado, deep in the mountains, specifically the San Juan Mountains, which in my opinion, of course, I'm a little biased, is the most beautiful mountain range of the entire Rocky Mountain chain. Deep forest, aspen, pine, spruce, rivers, brooks, streams, deer freaking bouncing around, little rabbits and bunnies and squirrels and ground squirrels and critters of all manner. Yep, it's all there. It's all there. Plus, spectacular views of 13,000 to 14,000 foot mountains. It's It's like pictures of Switzerland. It really is. And there's a lake. It's a very, it's a large lake. It's large enough that if you've got a speedboat, it's, you're going to be able to run that son of a bitch flat out for like a good 20 minutes before you hit either end of that lake. And I'm talking like a speed boat. You want to go sailing. You want to go paddle, you do the little paddle boat thing. That's yours too. There's a full marina at the lake and that lake is about two miles away. You can actually walk down to it. The whole place is a village. It's honestly, it's more like a hamlet. It's got like one church. It's got a couple of restaurants. There's not a big hotel. You know, everything around here are like just like single family homes and it's it's beautiful in the summertime. We've got room. I will have the Verbo, the Vacation Rental by Owner website link for the property so that you can peruse the other items about it in the show notes. But be aware, it's three bedrooms, three full bathrooms. That means everybody's got a shower. And the full kitchen. Here, That's the thing. See, that's the thing about a vacation rental home that a lot of people really get pissed off about. Because in this house, all you have to bring is your food, yourself, your kids, your pets, because we are pet friendly, and your clothes. That's it. Everything else is provided. If you can't cook a full Thanksgiving meal in this kitchen, you let me know because I've done it several times. Full Christmas meals. We've cooked bone-in prime rib, you know, rack roasts in the oven. There's an outdoor grill. If you can't cook everything that you want to cook in this house without going freaking anywhere, then you need to let me know because there's even a stand mixer. There's a blender. There's toasters. There's coffee maker. There's frying pans. There's cast iron. There's not cast iron. There's pots and pans and anything that you want. Three full bathrooms, three full bedrooms, sleeps eight in the middle of the San Juan mountains. You need to go. It's like 250 bucks a night. The thing sleeps eight people. Where are you going to sleep eight people for two fifty a night? All right, so the Verbo link will be in the show notes. You might want to book. Oh, and by the way, for all you hunters and fishers out there, we got you covered because there's hunting and fishing everywhere. And as fall approaches, you might want to start thinking seriously about where you want to go hunt deer and elk and all that kind of stuff because you got a base of operations there at Aspenwood, which is the name of the house. Now... On to the news. I'm going to begin this one with Lau. This is a note that he posted just 10 minutes ago on Noster. Yesterday, I explained Bitcoin to my friend's sister without using the word Bitcoin. She led the occasion on by stating that inequality is a burden in this world too long. I ended by saying... The exact monetary properties I just described to you already exist. 
it connected hard. That's an interesting way to go about describing Bitcoin. There was one day that I mentioned somewhere, and I, I think I was still on Twitter, that I was wanting to write a write a book where Bitcoin was inside of it as part of it, but not not the you know not the whole gist of it, and that I you know was thinking about not using the term Bitcoin to describe it. And one of the reasons is is that a literary technique is to try to be timeless. If you mention anything about the world by name that can immediately link it back to a particular time period, unless that's specifically what you're going for, then it makes it not timeless. Like books that don't describe the kind of car. It's just a car that don't like a, like a book coming out today that mentions a cell phone. Well, you know exactly where we are in time. So it it becomes not timeless. And somebody wrote back and said, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you use the word Bitcoin? And I think this is kind of why. Do I need to actually mention the name or is it the idea? What's more important? What 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 could possibly be more important than a censorship resistant money that can be used by machines as well as humans all at the same time and nobody can stand in the way of that? What's more important, the idea or the name? I think it's the idea Prove me wrong. Now, do you remember Rosalcon or Razzlecon, however you want to pronounce it? Yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> that was a, a chick rapper that made the most cringe videos. And she made one, of course, about Bitcoin. And it was just, oh God, it was so awful. And turns out she's brilliant. She can hack Binance along with her husband. And now they've reached a plea deal with the United States federal attorneys. Let's get into it. Coindesk, Elizabeth Napolitano is writing this one. Rosalcon and husband make plea deal in Bitfinex hack laundering case worth billions. Yay. A couple accuses or accused of laundering funds drained from crypto exchange Bitfinex in 2016 hack have entered a plea agreement with U.S. authorities court filing show. Heather Rosalcon Morgan and Ilya Lichtenstein married... New York residents who who were arrested in February of 2022 are pleading guilty to three charges, two counts of money laundering and one of conspiracy to defraud the United States. The U.S. attorney has ordered the couple to forfeit billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, shitcoin number one, stable coins and other shitcoins in addition to cash from their bank accounts at the time of conviction, according to the plea deal. The plea deal brings to a close one of the most dramatic criminal cases in the history of cryptocurrency, a field that has seen more than its fair share of scandals. It remains a mystery who hacked Bitfinex at the time, one of the largest such heists on record, and Morgan's idiosyncratic music videos added a touch of comic relief to the whole affair. This year, she got a new tech job while the case was pending. It is unclear how much time the two could serve behind bars. Last year, the pair faced two conspiracy charges, each that posed a maximum sentence of 25 years. They have been ordered to appear for an arraignment and plea hearing on August the 3rd before U.S. District Judge Colleen Kalar Catelli in Washington, according to court records. Quote, it was the object of the conspiracy for the defendants, Morgan and Lichtenstein, to unlawfully enrich themselves by laundering the proceeds of the hack and scheme to defraud the victim of that's the way it reads defraud the victim virtual currency exchange bitfinex and to prevent detection of the laundering activity the new filing said lawyers for neither Morgan nor Lichtenstein didn't immediately respond to CoinDesk's request for comment. Morgan and her husband were accused of laundering roughly 25,000 BTC and had access to another 94,000 BTC that was stolen during an exploit of Bitfinex in 2016. Federal officials were able to seize the 94,000 BTC when the couple were arrested in early of 2022. Back then, the DOJ alleged the two conspired to launder these proceeds and heavily implied, but did not claim that they were the original hackers. Much of the remaining 25,000 BTC were transferred out over the past five years through various wallets and dark net marketplaces. 
The couple and their lawyers previously intended to fight the charges, alleging that they were that there were many deficiencies in the government's proof and unsupported con, uh, conclusory leaps previous filings show. The first signs of a plea deal appeared in March of 2022, when prosecutors told the court that they were in talks with Morgan's attorneys about a possible resolution to her case that would not include a trial. Lichtenstein is a dual U.S. Russian citizen and renewed his Russian passport in 2019, said prosecutors in February of 2022. The duo traveled to Ukraine. The duo traveled to Ukraine in 2019, where they allegedly created and updated various files and online accounts that contained information about money laundering. The defense said it was just a vacation. The Department of Justice didn't immediately respond to CoinDesk's request for comment. All right, Ukraine. Why is Ukraine always in these types of things? Is it possible because the entire country is a money laundering hub? Probably. But I digress. Let's let's talk about the fact that what's not being really spoken about at all is how the hell did they get the BTC? That's the question. They either were the hackers and directly hacked Bitfinex for the BTC. I don't believe that's the case because I don't think these guys are are adept enough at being able to do that techno from a techno from a technology standpoint. And, but second, if they didn't, who did and how the hell did these people get the BTC? If they did not directly have ties with said hacker, nobody's really talking about that. It seems to me that the department of justice just wants to put this one to bed and they don't really care who or how got the BTC. I, I'm just it, it just seems very suspicious that it at, after all this time with such a large hack being out in the wind since 2016 because I remember that hack I, I was there I, I was deep in the rabbit hole by that time in 2016 there's no way that they did it however they had to have some connection to the hack otherwise they wouldn't have been the ones that got a hold of the btc and have been sitting on it for all this time something clearly something fishy is going on here but the biggest ramification here is that now the us marshal service is going to be or has been in possession of at least 94000 btc there's always that threat upon the horizon that they will just market sell that shit and crash the price it's possible but we've seen situations before where the u.s marshal service has sold you know crash price uh, price crashing worthy amounts of btc and the market just absorbed it and one of the people that did that i think was uh peter yeah peter teal was one of the guys that bought the uh silk road bitcoins when it went up for auction by the united states marshal service it's just that you know don't 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 sit around thinking that everything's fine because the U.S. Marshal Service is not all that smart. The United States government is not smart at all. And therefore, instead of, you know, putting it on their books to the U.S. Treasury, which I just don't see them doing, the only other option for them is to either burn it or sell it. Personally, I hope they burn it. And what I mean by burn is sending it to a burn address, which means that it's gone forever. All right. We got to do some more stupid here. The whole Rosalcon thing is dumb. <clears throat> if any of y'all had, had to sit through any of her videos, like I did, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But that's not the depth of stupidity here. We're going to get into some ordinal stuff. If you just can't stomach the stupid that's about to impinge upon your hearing ear, your hearing ears, then you need to fast forward or just stop listening or something like that. But we got to do it so that we understand what the hell's going on out there and what people, some people are thinking as they walk around, you know, touching things and reaching for stuff. Anyway, Bitcoin Magazine, Nathan Kreider is writing this one entitled Bitcoin's Martin Luther's. How Ordinal Wizards Challenge the Religion of Maximalism. <clears throat> I'm throwing up a little bit in my throat here. It's unlikely that Bitcoin's mysterious pseudonymous creator Satoshi Nakamoto knew just how many similarities Bitcoin would one day share with the world's great religions when they first released their code to the public. 
That Genesis block was mined on one of Nakamoto's computers on January the 3rd, 2009, a day now celebrated annually as one of the many Bitcoin holidays to commemorate the heritage of the world's first cryptocurrency and blockchain. For some, January the 3rd has become proof of keys days to promote the importance of holding one's own private keys as opposed to trusting them with a cryptocurrency exchange or another third party. Other Bitcoin holidays commemorate the first Bitcoin transaction, Bitcoin Pizza Day, the sovereignty of community consensus and the resolution to the block size wars, Bitcoin Independence Day, and the day Nakamoto publicly released the white paper conceptualizing Bitcoin, also known as the White Paper Day. Coincidentally, this last one falls on the same day Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany, ultimately upending many of the Catholic Church's most cherished traditions, which had barely changed in, you know, 1500 years. Bizarre as it may sound, if a group of self-proclaimed wizards get their way, the Bitcoin religion will soon recognize another holiday to mark yet another day of significance in the history of Bitcoin, at least in their eyes. In a Twitter spaces, I have heard Udi Wertheimer and Eric Wall, two proponents of Bitcoin ordinals who refer to themselves as taproot wizards, discuss promoting January 24th as Bitcoin JPEG Day. Yeah, JPEG Day. To commemorate the day on which a user on the Bitcoin Talk forum, who went by the name of Sabooner, attempted to sell a JPEG in 2010 with technical support from none other than Nakamoto himself. It might not be a stretch to view Wertheimer and Wall along with Casey Rodarmer, who developed Ordinals, and someone who goes by the pseudonym Domo, who developed the BRC20 token standard as the Bitcoin community's equivalent to Martin Luther. Man, that's a stretch, dude. These four heretics managed to make the Bitcoin network an environment for transacting non-fungible tokens, resulting in many hardcore Bitcoiners, often dubbed maximalists or maxis for short, to blow a gasket on Twitter. Uh, I'm certainly not the first person to analogize Bitcoin's most fervent enthusiast with religious evangelist Michael Lewis, the author of books such as Liar's Poker, Moneyball, and The Big Short, used this comparison on stage at Bitcoin 2023, describing the process of interviewing Bitcoin enthusiasts for his upcoming book about FTX's disgraced founder and CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. Lewis said, quote, The feeling I have is that you can say something wrong. When I was writing The Blind Side, my main characters were evangelical Christians, but they were suspicious of me because I sensed I didn't share their belief structure, or they sensed I didn't share their belief structure. It isn't that I'm in or out when it comes to Bitcoin. It's just that I haven't thought much about it, honestly. I've interviewed, I don't know, 200 people, and quite a few of them were like, what are you going to say about Bitcoin? It's interesting. It's like a religious thing, end quote. This religious thing always irked me, and here's why. The maximalists who collectively created their own bizarre Bitcoin religion have anointed themselves guardians of it and continuously attempt to apply a litmus test to other Bitcoin enthusiasts for no particular good reason other than to bolster their street cred as more hardcore and extremist than the next guy. On Twitter, they'll recognize them, or you'll recognize them, for their laser-eyed avatars in which they digitally replace their own eyes with fluorescent red ones to clearly and proudly mark themselves as a part of the religion. It's difficult to read. I get it's probably difficult to hear. Maxis are a disproportionately loud vocal minority on Bitcoin Twitter that seems to enjoy, above all else, trolling and ridiculing anyone they deem as inadequately faithful to their conspiratorial rhetoric on subjects ranging from vaccinations and sunscreen to seed oils, anti-gun legislation, and corporate ESG mandates. You see, in the upside-down world of the laser-eyed, being toxic is a virtue. Being toxic is somehow, for them, the way to win over the hearts and minds. To be fair, maxis aren't a homogenous group, but they tend to share a common view that Bitcoin is the solution to many of the world's problems and tend to subscribe to political doctrines of libertarianism and Austrian economics, oh God, ach, the horror, and tend to hate what they view as hopelessly corrupted institutions like the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum. This part I kind of like. 
on the shared beliefs continuum with Bitcoiners, I generally lean their way. I, too, subscribe to most Austrian economic principles and have many libertarian leanings and am increasingly skeptical of mainstream media. And, most importantly, I believe Bitcoin has the potential to be the soundest money ever created. However... The part I hate is that Maxis overwhelmingly subscribe to conspiratorial rhetoric on just about anything you can imagine, many of which are non-monetary in nature and all of which are complete non-sequiturs when it comes to Bitcoin. I'm certain that most Maxis would argue that all of these things are somehow related to the fiat system that they wish to overturn in order to set the stage for a new world in which Bitcoin reigns supreme. I would argue, though, that... These are issues that the average person knows little or cares little about and that focusing on them is maddeningly counterproductive in terms of spreading Bitcoin's adoption. In the world, if the world is ever to convert to said Bitcoin standard, widespread adoption on orders of magnitude greater than where they stand today is needed. And stupid litmus tests are a massive turnoff at worst and massive distraction at best to all but the most extreme amongst us. The parallels between Bitcoiners and religion go beyond just the dogmatic in-group mentality of Maxis. Bitcoin's base layer code, for example, is akin in many ways to scripture. While many proposals have been made over the years to change it, only a relative handful of significant ones have ever been approved. Indeed, the Ten Commandments are only slightly less likely to be altered than the software code that runs the Bitcoin network, a feature, not a bug, in the view of many Bitcoiners. The process adhered to by Bitcoin's core developers to change the code is cumbersome by design, requiring anyone proposing a change to write a Bitcoin improvement proposal that aims to achieve some kind of community consensus to enact the changes. The ossified nature of Bitcoin's base layer is a testament to Bitcoin's decentralization in the eyes of most maximalists, something that sets it apart from more centralized blockchains like Ethereum, which have a much lower threshold for implementing changes. Changes in the functionality of Bitcoin's Layer 1 will always be controversial. However, the Taproot and SegWit upgrades designed to make the Bitcoin protocol more secure and efficient were adopted by the Bitcoin community with relative ease and Taproot was activated in November of 2021. (coughs) Herein lies the irony. Had those who determined the Bitcoin network's governance known at the time that these upgrade was, would enable Rod Armor to create ordinals and inscriptions, it seems unlikely in retrospect that the changes would have been accepted with such relative ease. The church fundamentalists got beat at their own game, and many of them, including Greg Foss, a podcaster and Bitcoin magazine contributor with more than 130,000 Twitter followers, have been on a warpath ever since. The majority of Bitcoin miners love ordinals and BRC20 tokens because they have led to increased transaction fees, while many maxis are adamantly against them because they view NFTs as a distraction from what they see as Bitcoin cores or Bitcoin's core function as a much improved way of sending, receiving, and storing value. The network was designed as a monetary settlement and transaction platform, not for the tokenization of digital art or real-world assets, the laser-eyed will say. JPEG Day then might as well be called Scam Day as far as they're concerned. I think we should adopt that. I think we should. Scam Day sounds good to me. While the story of inscriptions and ordinals is still being written, the reality that JPEG art collections and other ordinal use cases may be here to stay has resulted in another internal culture war reminiscent of Bitcoin's block size wars from 2015 to 2017. Only rather than small blockers versus large blockers, the ordinals have pitted maximalists against NFT creators and enthusiasts. The rising tension ultimately came to a head at Bitcoin 2023 during a perfectly timed onstage event dubbed by the conference organizers as the Great Ordinals Debate. Dressed as wizards and flossing as they arrived on stage, Wertheimer and Wall displayed their mastery as hype artists while debating Matt Carollo of Block and Spiral and someone who concealed his face with sunglasses, a bandana over his nose and mouth, and a camouflage UASF hat who goes by the name Shinobi. 
and he was signaling himself as a small blocker. That's in parentheses. I guess I should have read that. It was like some kind of quirky, nerd version of world wrestling entertainment, as if Don King had somehow infiltrated an episode of the Big Bang Theory theory, and convinced Sheldon Cooper and Howard Wolowitz to get in the ring. I watched from the audience marveling at the spectacle of the heretic wizards out-trolling the laser eyes who had been extolling the virtues of toxicity to the detriment of a thing I'd grown to love as they debated ordinals and battled hilariously for the soul of Bitcoin. Uh, Honestly, this is kind of drivel because it makes a lot of stereotypical assumptions. All right. So all maxis are, you know, are apparently fervently against ordinals. I don't give a shit. I'm a maxi and I don't care. I literally don't care. Does the protocol allow it? Then the protocol will do that. That's, that's my stance. That's, that's where my maximalism takes root. Does the protocol allow it? Well, fuck it. If it allows it, then it's going to happen. Does the Bitcoin protocol allow for ordinals? Yeah. By the way, ordinals are still broken. I have not seen any kind of fix from from uh, Rod Armor or anybody else for that matter. Uh, ordinals got broke, and now they're apparently there's some way that you can screw them up by or get the get the ordinals out of order because that's the whole thing about ordinals is one, two, and three comes after two, and four comes after three, and now the order can be jacked with, and that's not fixed. The whole fucking thing is broken, but nobody ever talks about it. But the idea. That just because I've got laser eyes on my avatar means that somehow or another I want to go kill Eric Wall and Udi Wertheimer is fucking ridiculous. They can do whatever they want. They're idiots. Both of them. Now, their idiocy is getting people into trouble. You know, I will say that. And they probably shouldn't be doing what they're doing. But assholes are going to asshole and you can't do anything about it. And again... If the assholes can asshole and the protocol allows it, then assholes are going to asshole on the protocol. And there's nothing you or me or anyone else can do about it. The notion of if we had only known that ordinals would happen because of taproot, then therefore taproot would not have been instituted is bullshit. Because we didn't know. And there's no way that we could go back in time to know. The entire argument isn't worth a breath. So there's that. But again, going back to the you're a maximalist, therefore you're a religious zealot, therefore you hate everything that could possibly be against what is this imaginary boat floating down the river filled with Bitcoin idealism is fucking stupid. There's, I don't hold a lot of respect for this person that's writing this, this article. And I'm, I would say that Bitcoin Magazine shouldn't have published this article, but I'm glad that they did. I really am. Just so that we can understand the stupid side of what's going on with this entire ordinals and inscriptions and BRC20. And yes, there will be more. In fact, I was just looking at the mempool and the mempool is, or I did it again, not the mempool. Mempools are like above 158. I think they're going to be at 160 unconfirmed blocks carrying somewhere upwards around 300,000 unconfirmed transactions. And yes, some of those are ordinal transactions. I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't bug me one bit. Why? Because the protocol allows it. And if in, like if for whatever reason, you know what? I, this is what I don't see. I, I see Greg Foss bitching about ordinals, but you know what I don't see him doing is yelling at core developers to take Taproot out of the protocol. That's never going to happen. That you you want to fuck up Bitcoin, you start going and retroactively removing shit out of the protocol, especially something that like Taproot. All right, it's just no. That's ridiculous. I don't want it. Most of the maximalists I know don't give a shit about ordinals. We think it's stupid. That's about that's about as far as us calling blasphemy as this idiot might make you believe actually goes. You, Eric Wall and Udi Wertheimer do whatever the hell they want to do. That's 
That's up to them. They want to dress up like fools and present themselves as fools in front of that many people all at once. Fine. I don't care. Not something that I would do, but I'm not going to stop them from doing it. And, and nobody should. And honestly, nobody can. Nobody can. It's ridiculous. Even if they stop, some other idiot's going to get up there in a wizard suit and floss their teeth in front of 23,000 people or however many people were there. I don't care. It's it's all bullshit. But we have other fish to fry. Um, let's do this one. Oh, yeah. Let's get into a little bit of FTX stuff. Uh, new shit has come to light, man. US DOJ accuses the FTX founder of leaking the private diary of Carolyn Ellison. Cointelegraph, Helen Parks. The DOJ filed a complaint against Sam Bankman-Fried, accusing him of leaking the private papers of Carolyn Ellison, who was once his business ally and romantic partner. In a new complaint filed on July the 20th, the DOJ accused Sam of an attempt to interfere with the fair trial by publicly publicly discrediting Ellison, who became a government witness in SBF's case in late 2022. SBF sought to publicly discredit a government witness by sharing her personal writings with a reporter so that those private documents would be featured in an article published by the New York Times on July the 20th, U.S. Attorney Damian Williams argued in a complaint. In her diary, Ellison described feeling overwhelmed by her job at Alameda Research alongside other things like pain from her romantic breakup with SBF and her professional insecurities. Though the article didn't indicate who provided the documents to the NYT, it is apparent that documents were shared by Bankman-Fried, Williams stated, and he wrote, quote, When the government learned this week that this article was forthcoming, defense counsel confirmed that the defendant had met with one of the article's authors in person and had shared documents with him that were not part of the government's discovery material. End quote. The attorney went on to say that based on the excerpts in the article, the documents do not appear to be within the discovery materials in the case, but likely came from the defendant's personal Google Drive account. <laughs> Williams then wrote that the U.S. federal rule of civil, civil procedure prohibits lawyers and their agents from releasing non-public information that may interfere with the fair trial as such. The government requests that the court enter an order pursuant to Local Rule 23.1, which proscribes, quote, extra judiciary statements by parties and witnesses that are likely to interfere with the right to a fair trial by an impartial jury. Williams added, quote, having the story appear in a reputable newspaper. Yeah, New York Times being reputable is laughable all by itself. Reputable, reputable newspaper with a worldwide readership without identifying the defendant as the source lends a misleading patina of legitimacy to what would otherwise be naked advocacy, compounding the risk of tainting protective jurors. Cointelegraph reached out to the DOJ, uh, did not get an immediate response. So there you go. SBF releasing papers from Carolyn Elliston, Elliston's private diary. First off, how did he get them? I guess she left him at his apartment. I don't know. But honestly, what's the, what's the biggest, what's the biggest uh, takeaway from this? Never date anybody at work, <laughs> especially when you're defrauding your clients out of billions of dollars. But you thought that was weird. No, 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 sir. No, ma'am. Mm-mm. No, the shit gets weirder. Decrypt Andrew Asmakov. FTX lawsuit alleges that Sam Bankman Fried's brother planned to turn an island nation into a doomsday bunker. Oh yeah, baby. If you thought the FTX saga couldn't get any wilder, you were wrong. A recently filed lawsuit alleges that the FTX Foundation the nonprofit arm of the now defunct exchange was working on a plan to purchase the sovereign nation of Nauru in order to construct a bunker slash shelter that would be used for quote some event where fifty percent to ninety nine point nine nine percent of people die. <laughs> the plan was part of a memo exchanged between Gabriel Bankman Fried, the brother of Sam, and an unnamed officer at the FTX Foundation. The current leadership team of FTX is suing the bankrupt crypto exchange's founder, Sam Bankman Fried, and three other former executives to reclaim $1 billion that the defendants are alleged to have misappropriated. The purchase of the island would allegedly help, quote, ensure that most EAs, otherwise known as effective altruists, survive. 
and develop sensible regulation around human genetic enhancement while also building a lab in Nauru. The cited memo further noted that probably there are other things it's useful to do with a sovereign country as well. Oh my God. Look at all the stuff we can do with this sovereign nation that we bought. It's ridiculous. The FTX Foundation's direction was to a large extent shaped by the principles of effective altruism, a social and philosophical movement that aims to employ empirical evidence to guide the most efficient allocation of charitable resources. It takes into consideration factors like prioritization and cost effectiveness to achieve maximum impact. I don't know. That just sounds like a business plan to me. Both Sam Bankman fried the founder and former CEO of FTX and Carolyn Ellison, who was the board member of the FTX foundation and helped the crypto exchanges sister company Alameda research asserted that they were introduced to these concepts in their early 20s. The lawsuit further says that the project run by the FTX Foundation were frequently misguided and sometimes dystopian. These included a $300,000 grant to an individual to, quote, write a book about how to figure out what humans' utility function is or are as well as a $400,000 grant to an entity that posted YouTube videos related to rationalist and effective altruism material, including videos on grabby aliens, whatever the hell that is. Nauru, the world's smallest island state with a population of around 12,000 people, is situated in the southwestern Pacific Ocean, approximately 3,000 kilometers northeast of Australia. In recent years, the nation has become notorious for its use by Australia as an offshore processing center for the people seeking asylum and protection from 2001 to 2008, and then again in 2012 to 2019. People held there during its use as a processing center engaged in protest, including sewing their lips shut and self-immolation. If you don't know what that is, it means pouring gas on yourself and setting yourself on fire. Nauru also became a hotspot for money laundering during uh, the late 90s when it helped Russian criminals launder an estimated $70 billion. The U.S. Treasury designated Nauru a money laundering state in 2002, leading to harsh sanctions against the country and the closure of the Bank of Nauru in 2006. Since then, Nauru has taken measures to improve its rep and address the issue of money laundering and leave the troubled past behind. By 2004, Nauru had implemented stricter regulations to combat financial crime and uphold international standards, something that has helped the island nation prevent offshore banking activities. The lawsuit also names the former Alameda Research CEO Ellison, who allegedly paid herself a series of bonuses, including a bonus of $22.5 million, of which she transferred $10 million to a personal bank account and invested this money in a company focused on artificial intelligence research. FTX co-founders Zhao Wang and Nishad Singh, who both worked at FTX and, and Alameda, are also named in the complaint. In a Thursday court filing, the U.S. Department of Justice accused Sam Bankman-Fried of leaking Ellison's personal documents. Yeah, we just read that. So, dude, a great movie is going to be is going to be done about this this whole thing. Not just the island. I mean, the whole FTX thing. They are. This is clearly an entire organization that was run by psychopaths and marketing geniuses. Who does that sound like? <laughs> Sounds like a bunch of Nazis to me, but hey, hey, you know, it is what it is. <clears throat> um, let's see, what do we got here? Oh, we got to do this one. Uh, I just learned about this yesterday. District court dismisses Coin Center's case against unconstitutional financial surveillance. No BS Bitcoin is going to give us the short, short, short version. Uh, Quote, I'm sorry to have to say that Coin Center's case challenging Congress's expansion of Section 60501 of the tax code was dismissed as unripe by the district court, said Jerry Brito, executive director of Coin Center. Quote, this law takes effect on January the 1st, 2024, and will require citizens who are recipients of crypto payments of $10,000 or more to report to the government not just the transaction, but the personal identifiable information of the sender as well, all without a warrant. That means if you, for whatever reason, like let's say that I've got a Mesa Boogie Mark III uh, circa 
1991. Uh, it's a, actually, you know, it's a fairly, uh, fairly valuable piece of equipment at this point. There's not a lot of Mark threes on, you know, well, they don't make them anymore. And these, you know, the one that I would like to sell is wrapped in this beautiful bird's eye flame maple. Only 150 of them were made. It's possible I could get over $10,000 for the sale of such a rig to somebody who has the money and really wants this amplifier. It's, it's a guitar amp. It's one of the best ones on the planet. But if I do, let's say you buy it from me. Let's say uh, Dubrovko decides that he wants to start you know, playing guitar if he doesn't already, and he wants the mo- one of the most killer 60-watt amps on the face of the planet, and he says, I'll buy it. $10,100 in Bitcoin. I say, let's let's do this thing. He sends me the Bitcoin. I wrap up this pretty little thing, send it off, ship it off to him down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area so that he can serenade his black soldier fly larvae with. Okay. I got to get his, uh, his address where he lives. I've got to get his telephone number, his email. I've got to get his, and this is the kicker, social security number. Unless he buys it through his company, then I've got to get his company's personally identifiable information as well as his, plus his company's TIN or the business's identification number. It's like their social security number for your business. It doesn't matter. Either way, it's a social security number. That's what it boils down to. That's why we are assigned the slave numbers at birth. Just saying. And then I've got to hand over all that information to the United States government. They don't have to lift a finger to do the work to go get Dubrovko's information. I have to do it. So my proposal is that for everything over $10,000 that you purchase or sell for Bitcoin, and you decide to engage in the activity of the United States government by collecting this information, which means you're doing labor for the U.S. government, then I propose that you send U.S. Treasury a bill for $10,001 payable only in Bitcoin. Will they pay it? I don't know. They might. At this point, I I have thought very seriously about just sending government agencies like fucking invoices for like $50,000 for like an ostrich fart and see if they'll pay it because they apparently will just give any idiot money. And I can be that idiot. I don't mind being an idiot for 50 grand every five weeks that I send out a, you know, an invoice to some three letter agency, whatever. Let's, let's run the numbers. Crude oil. That which comes from West Texas, the intermediate variety, is up 1.4% to $76.71. Brent North Sea up one and a third to $80.69. Natural gas, however, down almost two points to $2.70 a thousand. And gasoline is up almost two points to $2.79. Gold is down a quarter of a point to $19.65 and 90 cents. Silver is down half a point. Platinum is down, or no, platinum's up. 0.87, but copper is down almost a half. Palladium, however, is just off of a 1% point increase. Uh, Agriculture is uh, mostly up, kind of mixed. Lumber is up 0.73%. The biggest loser today is going to be wheat, uh, no, 3.82% to the downside. Biggest winner today is going to be coffee. 1.7 1.7 up. I got live cattle down a half, lean hogs down a half, and feeder cattle up 0.17%. Oh, we're saved. The indices of the equities are all up by a quarter of a point for the Dow, a third of a point for S&P, a third of a point for NASDAQ, and S&P mini is just kind of hovering flat, 0.06% to the upside. Meanwhile, real money at $29,861.22. I got an average transaction value of 0.9 BTC, a median of 0.0025 BTC, which is about 75 bucks, which isn't bad. Block times are hideously high, 12 minutes and 38 seconds. That's why we're probably seeing all the ordinal guys cram their bullshit into the blockchain. Hey, I can still talk shit about them, even though they can do whatever the hell they want. Uh, I got a, ooh, God dang, a 12.28% decrease in hash rate, bringing us to 
uh, exahashes per second. We got 0.2 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 23, wow, taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Let's see what's going on with uh, Dashboard. Clark Moody, $581.1 billion of market cap is 4.48% of gold's market cap. There are 19,435,180.59 BTC in circulation and 4,950 and a half of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $148 million. 16,366 Lightning Network nodes that we know about sporting 69,294 payment channels that we can see and 70.5% of all that's being run over Tor. Mempool is or are packed and stacked. Looks to me like about 162 blocks waiting on... Uh, waiting to clear, carrying 311,000 transactions. 24 Satoshis per V-byte is your high priority. 20 is your low. And everything under 4.5 Satoshis per V-byte is being purged from mempools across the world. And I am still hanging at number 9 on the fountain charts for Bitcoin. And I appreciate everybody who's helped me stay in the top 10, including Henry GQJ with 6777 says... That Copernicus information was fascinating. Not only can I troll my Polish partner for Bitcoin beating the Zloty in terms of market cap, but I can now point out the man on their bank notes would have been stacking sats too. The value this prod- podcast brings is priceless. God, thanks, dude. I appreciate that. Monard with 3,759 says, started the day in the best way with the Bitcoin and podcast. Thanks, Dave. No, thank you. And Nick Dose with a row of threes 33 33 says cheers and Dubrovko with a thousand says seeing gotham as the name for the episode reminded me of the waiting line for batman the ride at six flags super dystopian fend is not the beginning of the cbdc oh fed now is not the beginning of the cbdc is exactly what is said before implementing something that will further enable a CBDC. Hmm, that's right. Yegro with a thousand says money and science are quantitative. It can be measured. So of course, scientists are drawn to things that are measurable, but difficult to measure. That's my theory. Keep up the great work. I got, got something to say about that. There's all manner of science. There are biostatisticians. There are straight up biochemists. There are chemists. There's heavy metal guys. There's physicists. There's the whole range of engineering. And you know what I what I don't see is a chemist become fascinating fascinated with the numbers of biology unless somehow or another they are doing like you know some kind of joint study or something like that physicists don't seem to stray off and start thinking about other v- things of science they don't I mean unless it's necessary for their physical view of the universe, they don't really delve into biochemistry, all right? And I'm not getting on you, Yegro, but this is my my counter theory. I think that scientists are drawn to the quantitative numbers in economics because economics is just as important to them as their science because they know, they know that 50% of every transaction made between humans on this planet is an economic transaction. Not verbal. It's not written. It's not body language. It's not interpretive fucking dance. No, 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 no. It's economic. And therefore, it's the importance. And what what happened to us as kids, especially any of you guys that are Gen X like I am, what, what was your high school economics class like? Was it a snooze? Probably. Nine, I, I almost guarantee you that well over 95% of anybody that's listening to this podcast, Gen X or not, looked at their high school economics class as boring as hell. And rightly so, because it was designed exactly that way. Not the class. The Keynesian economics. the What, what you have to explain can only come out as voodoo economics it comes it has to come out that way because it's bullshit how many of you guys are interested in economics now 
How many of you guys find it fascinating? Why are we all here? We were duped, dude. We were we were duped. Anyway, I my counter theory is that high-end scientists are interested in economics as a shelling point other than their own science because of its importance to humanity. That's that's my counter theory. Uh, Jen in Indy with a thousand says, keep on killing it. I don't want to kill it. I might need it later. Dubrovko with a thousand says, why are physicists so interested in money? Why are the best permaculturists from engineering stock? They just are. Okay, that one is kind of making sense. But again, we're talking about people that are viewing the world in a highly detailed fashion with pattern recognition. And physicists do that. Chemists do that. Biologists definitely do that shit. We're looking for patterns. We're looking, we're looking for, the, for the picture that is sewn inside the tapestry of the universe. But one of the most important aspects of this is how we deal with each other. And half of how we deal with each other is through economics. Pies finishes us off with 100, says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Initial jobless claims suggest continued Fed tightening, but investors appear unfazed. Coindesk, Glenn Williams writing, Initial jobless claims in the United States for the week ending July 15th declined to 228,000, 9,000 lower than the previous week and below expectations of 242,000. The second consecutive weekly decline reflects a persistently strong labor market and it also marks the mild reaction to significant macroeconomic events over the past 10 days. BTC prices moved less than 2% after last week's consumer price index, non-farm payrolls, and quarterly GDP growth. The knee-jerk narrative for cryptocurrencies for today's release is that tight labor markets prolong any chance that the Federal Open Market Committee will halt interest rate increases. This would likely limit crypto prices. The real-time crypto market reaction suggests that crypto investors have already included this into their investment calculus. So while a lid appears to be on Bitcoin prices, it also appears to be a light one applying minimal downward pressure. The four-week average of jobless claims declined from the third consecutive week. If the FOMAC is looking for weaker job growth before pivoting to a lower interest rate environment, this news would not support such a move. Further exacerbating tight labor markets is higher median earnings for wage and salaried workers. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, second quarter median earnings for full-time wage and salary workers was 5.7% higher than a year prior compared to the current 4% increase in consumer prices. While inflation has been steadily declining, declining, and that's bullshit, labor markets and overall earnings strength would likely cause prices to rise where were the FOMAC to forego a rate hike. Market expectations for a 25 basis point increase on July the 26th are now 99.8%, which is up from 98 point or 98% a day prior. Crypto investors seem unfazed, with Bitcoin levels almost identical to where they stood, you know, 30 days ago. The same hold true for, true for shitcoin number one, as both assets have been trading near their respective 20-day moving averages. Momentum for both is neutral as well. Their respective relative strength index figure sits near 50, signaling neither bullish nor bearish statements. Uh, is there anything else? Uh, I thought there was some more stuff to have. Uh. Nope, I guess that's it. So that's all right. So that's what's going on with the labor market. How many of you believe any of those numbers any longer? I don't. That doesn't mean you can't. If you want to believe them, hey, knock yourself out. I don't believe them. I think it's all bullshit. Food's not priced into the CPI. Energy's not, you know, energy's not. Housing is not. Anything, most of the shit that humans actually use to, you know, get along in the world today are not included in the consumer's price index any longer. They've been steadily stripped out over the decades, which means that they're fudging the numbers. And if we go back to science, if I'm a PhD and I'm doing research as a PhD does, and especially in the sciences, right? Like I'm working for like, I don't know, Texas Tech University Health Science Center in the Department of Physiology as a PhD and I don't know, 
molecular biology, right? And I'm, I'm doing my studies. If I start finagling numbers and I get caught, do you have any idea what happens to me? Well, I don't know about today because the, the science of today is, has clearly become wokish, for lack of a better term. But when I was in science, when I was in a lab, and if you even got, if, if it was even looking like you were fudging numbers or not including certain things so that your graph looked a certain way so that you could possibly get more grant money, your ass was on the chopping block. And that's just by, it's like a rumor. That's just by rumor. If you get caught full out, you don't get stripped of your PhD, but not only will you get, you lose your tenure and you will get fired because that is actionable against tenure. You will never work in the sciences again unless you're working for, I don't know, the arch enemy of Batman or something like that. That's the only way you're ever going to work in science again. You're done. You're done. You're done. You're done. And here we have the most powerful institution on the face of the planet nakedly changing their parameters of a data point that is critical for their moving forward in financial policy. And nobody says a word. It's insidious. It's reprehensible. And it can't continue. The reason people in science get in trouble for fudging data is because it's giving people the wrong data. You cannot action upon falsehoods. You can't. That's why the scientific community up until late, you know, with the whole COVID thing, has been adamant about self-protection of the integrity of the people amongst its ranks doing science. Now, we don't have any anymore. Fed does whatever it wants to fudge data. Science clearly has fallen into beyond disrepair. It's like, I don't know, it... It's like a shanty town on the edge of Brazil, like a Brazilian city somewhere. It's sad to see it, but it's happening and we're not going to worry about it any longer because we got Swarmster to talk about. Swarmster, Noster Knowledge Hub for Curious Minds. No Bullshit Bitcoin, also known as NoBSBitcoin.com, has it. Quote, Swarmster is a simple question and answer web client built on top of Noster designed to empower users with knowledge and foster a vibrant community of learning. Got a question? Simply post it on Swarmster or any other client, but make sure you use the hashtag AskNoster and tap into the collective wisdom of Noster plebs. Not only can you ask questions, but you can also explore a treasure trove of already answered queries, saving your time and effort. Swarmster thrives on the expertise of the of our knowledgeable users. We encourage subject matter experts to contribute their insights by answering questions related to their fields of expertise. As a reward for their valuable contributions, users can earn zaps and gain recognition in their areas of expertise. Existing questions which were asked outside Swarmster and which do not have the proper hashtag associated with them can be included in the search results from any client when quoted with hashtag AskNoster. This is an early version, so do expect some bugs. Feedback and suggestions are much appreciated. So go to Swarmster. Uh, let's see. How do you get there, though? Where's the let's see archive website? Let's get to the announcement. And it's going to take forever. Come on, man. Don't make my, don't make my listeners wait, bro. Okay. Swarmster.com. S-W-A-R-M-S-T-R.com. That's Swarmster.com. I think I might use their uh, lead page as the artwork for the, uh, for the show today. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But if you're, uh, if it, and think of it this way, <coughs> uh, Stack Overflow. Uh, very useful for asking programming questions, but really it's only for programming questions. If I go to like, you know, Stack Overflow and say, how do I buy a house? Yeah, they're going to laugh at me. What I like about this is that this is any question, any question fielded, whether housing or science or economics or physics, whatever. I don't care. If you've got a question about something, Go try swarmster.com. That's swarmster.com and see if it works for you. All right. 
more Noster stuff here. This was written by Derek Ross. Now, some of you may not like the subject matter here, but everybody gets a fair shake on Noster. Everybody. Every single person gets a fair shake on Noster, whether you like what they do, hate what they do, or are indifferent otherwise. Noster is for everyone. That includes your enemies. Bitcoin is for everyone. That includes your enemies, including wizard-looking, teeth-flossing morons in Miami. Just saying. I'm going to call it like it is. They can do what they want, but that doesn't mean that I can't talk shit about them on the podcast. So fuck them. Derek Ross wrote this last night. Sex workers often face financial discrimination and restrictions from traditional banking systems. Noster and Bitcoin's censorship-resistant nature allows sex workers to transact and communicate freely and maintain their financial privacy and freedom. Without the risk of accounts being shut down or funds being frozen, they can confidently manage their earnings without interference from third parties. This is why I'm so excited to see a group of sex workers joining Noster today. They need decentralized and censorship-resistant money and communication more than a lot of us could understand or experience. We're building these tools for everyone, especially for people from their community. Okay, so you might have your issues morally, ethically, or extensively in other places with the issue of sex workers. I get it. I understand. However, as I always say with the ordinals thing, does the protocol allow it? I'm going to do the same thing here, but in a different way. Are these people humans? Then they deserve a voice. Are they criminals? I hate to say it, but they deserve a voice. Are they the worst sort of scum on the planet? They deserve a voice. And you deserve to hear that voice because without hearing, like when I read the Bitcoin Magazine article about ordinals and written by a guy who I deem to be not exactly playing with a full deck, you need that information so that you can make better decisions. This is why when I was a scientist, I was always very, very careful to make deadly sure that even if the data suggested something that I didn't want it to suggest, And that's just a bias. I would present said data to my mentor because that's the way it has to be done. You may not like it. It may not works in your favor. It may actually actively work against you, but by God, you've got an ethical and moral obligation to present what you know. So therefore, even if the worst sort of scum on this planet decide to voice their crappy voices on Noster, they have the right to do so. And you have the right to hear it. And you honestly also kind of obligated to say, oh shit, there's these kinds of people out there. How do I not react, but how do I not engage? How do I not get in trouble by, you know, engaging with this person? What, how could I possibly lose my money? And I'm talking about scammers at this point. Sex workers, I, I don't really honestly think for a second that they're bad people. This is just what they do. I mean, it's like, are you going to bitch out a logger for cutting down a tree in a managed forest? No, that's his or her job. That's what they do. That's how they make their money. You may not like the fact that they cut down a tree, but... If you don't know that the tree is being cut down in a managed forest, specifically set aside to grow trees, and then after a while cut them down so that you can grow more trees, so that you can constantly have a supply of wood. If you don't know that part, then you can't make an informed decision about what you really think about the person cutting down the tree in the first place. You see how this works? So... You may see some things on Noster that you're like, God, I hope my kid doesn't see this. They probably will. If, they, if they're if they on Noster, that's the thing. That's up to you. It's an open protocol. Everyone's invited. Even the teeth flossing wizards. Sorry, but that's the way it is. If you can't deal with that, then you have to move on and go somewhere else, like Twitter or Blue Sky or Threads, God forbid. Oh, by the way, I've been banned off of threads and I no longer can post to Instagram because, because those accounts were linked. But weirdly, they didn't pull down the Aspenwood 
Instagram account, even though it's clear that Instagram, that my Bitcoin and Instagram account and my Aspenwood uh, Instagram account are held by the same telephone number, or I can't remember how I, how I did it, but it's, it's clear. It has to be clear because I could literally set it up where I could switch between the two accounts when I was logged into Instagram. So there's, there's no, I don't know why they didn't just ban both accounts because they're clearly all connected. I told somebody to to cry harder this time. That's why I got banned off of threads permanently, by the way, it's not a, I, I repealed it or not repealed it. I, uh, uh, I said, Hey, you know, I think you're wrong. And it took them all of seven and a half minutes to write back saying, we've reviewed your shit. No, you're never coming back. And by the way, your Instagram account for Bitcoin and that you've had for years and years has gone to. If, you can't handle what's going on on Noster. That's your alternative. You can't say anything. You can't say anything. Now, would you rather be on a platform that allows anyone to say anything? Or would you rather be on a platform that if you had more than four beers and somebody is spouting fucking nonsense and you tell them to cry harder about it, that you get banned permanently? Which way do you choose to go? There really is only one way. Sadly, you will have to deal with the negativity, the negative things that you, that, that you think is negative, right? You might not like to see a picture of a sex worker scantily clad in lingerie. You might think that that is a negative, right? That's your prerogative. But if that causes you to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm going back over to Mastodon. I don't know what to tell you because some of the shit that I see on Mastodon makes Noster look like a cakewalk as far as, as you know, questionable content. The whole point is, if you want to truly be free in your communications with other people and have an element of financial sovereignty directly attached to it, then you have to choose Noster. And if you have not spun up your private public key pair, any one of the Noster clients that are out there, snort.social, primal.net, Domus, they they will do that for you. And then get on Noster and just ask how to best manage your private public key pair. It's not hard. It doesn't have to be insurmountable. And there are people there to help. In fact, go to swarmster.com. And ask that question. See if it's already been answered. I'll bet it's been answered a hundred times. If you want to choose actual freedom, you've got to go with a protocol. If you want to choose enslavement, then you're going to have to go with a platform like Blue Sky. Or Twitter, God forbid. Or Threads, or Instagram, or TikTok, or any one of these people. Or, well, rather platforms. Eventually, the same thing will always be true unless you actively scan the native narrative of mainstream media upon that day, you will, and repeat it profusely without any deviation from the narrative, then you will eventually be banned. So you either come to Noster now or you come to Noster later. I would claim your namespace as soon as possible. Get on Noster, figure out how it works. It's not hard. I will help you. My InPub is always in the show notes. That's how you will get to me on Noster if you choose to start using it, and I hope you do. And I will see you over there on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.